to the KC City Church Audio Podcast. We pray you enjoy this following sermon. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, worship team. And I trust that you could sense his presence for the Spirit of the Lord. Amen. The Spirit of the Lord is is here. He's present. He's present in your home. He's present in your room. He's present wherever you are this morning. And Lord, we just truly thank you that you are omnipresent, Lord. You are omniscient. You are omnipowerful, Lord Father. And so we give you thanks and praise. We truly give you thanks and praise. Lord, our hearts are open before you right now. Father, we pray you continue to speak to us. We just thank you for the many things this morning, Lord, that we've already heard, that we've had the opportunity to pray. And Lord, we've heard your, your word being read out as well. Lord, we just truly want to thank you, Lord, and, and that we've been able to worship you and sing before you and just release our hearts, release what is inside of us, Lord. Lord, we are here right now for you to fill, continue to fill us. Lord, as your word says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied or they will be filled. Lord, we thank you. We thank you so much for that, that that this comes with a promise. And we receive that promise right now in Jesus' name. Amen. Whoever that you're with, please turn to that person and say, man, it's so good for you to be here with me. And if you're not with anyone, just close your eyes and say, Holy Spirit, I thank you that you are here. You're my comforter. You, you never leave me alone. Amen. Amen. You know, last week we covered uh, part one of blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. I just want to do a little bit of a recap this morning. And uh, as, as you heard me mention last week, I said that the crowd that Jesus was speaking to, they knew what it meant to hunger and, and thirst for, uh, for, right, for righteousness. That's right. They, they knew because of, from a natural standpoint, the terrain that they were in was fairly dry. Right. It was a desert terrain. So they knew exactly. So Jesus used an analogy that they could really relate to. Right. That's that's an important point. Right. But having established that hunger and thirst were primary needs for them, he then linked it to right to righteousness. In other words, he's giving a clear indication to everyone who was who was listening. And for those of us who are reading even right now, as we read this and as we hear this message, the clear indication that that the primary focus of our lives should be that then there must come a hungering and a thirsting for his righteousness. So hence you see the, the direct correlation and the direct link there, right? The third aspect was that we then also covered that that within the original con within the within the original the original context, this hungering and thirst is what is referred to as a present participle, meaning that there is that this hungering and thirsting is a continual hungering and thirsting. So when Jesus spoke to the crowd, he spoke to them with this in mind: that guys, as you hear this. And as you come to know me, and as you, and as you come to know the Father, as you come to experience the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in your lives, there must be this continuous hungering and thirsting. So this, this conduit, this connection to the Lord must, must be such that you and I are fed with this, that we are consistently being fed, we are consistently connecting. We are, as, as the word of the Lord in, in John chapter 15, 
17, I believe, it says that abide, for us to abide in him, meaning we have to stay, we have to remain, to abide so that we will hunger and we will thirst for him. Right, now the questions... The question of what types of righteousness would we hunger and thirst for was also covered last week, right? And I'll just, again, just go over really quickly just the main headings. As a believer, there are, there, there are two types that we covered last week. One is, the first of which is Christ's imputed righteousness. Now, in order for you to know what that means and, and, and more about that, if you've, not heard the, if you've not heard last week's message, I want to really encourage you to have a listen of that so that you understand what this really means. It means that, that we have been credited, we've been banked, uh, that, there's, that, that our accounts... That, that the Lord has banked into our account His righteousness. Hence, it is said that we are His righteousness. Hallelujah. And the second aspect is practical righteousness. What is practical righteousness? There, there were four elements to practical righteousness that we talked about. How do, we, how do we gain this practical righteousness? Or how do we live this out, right? One is that there must be a hungering and a thirsting for souls. There, there must be a thirst. There must be a hunger for souls. I want to I see souls. I want to see salvation in the lives of my family, my friends and people in and uh, my colleagues and whoever that I come in contact with. The second aspect is that we must hunger and thirst for God's word. Amen. And the third aspect is that we must hunger and thirst for the knowledge of God in knowing God, in wanting to know God, that I may know him. You know, it says in in Philippians chapter three. And the third aspect, uh, sorry, the fourth aspect is that we must hunger and thirst for specific works because we are his workmanship that God has created in us, that God has created works for us to enter into. So there must be these four things. So these are four indicators or what, what I refer to as the, the, the Beatitudes, I've referred to as the Beatitudes as our KPI. If you look at it from a work standpoint, right? Uh, from a performance standpoint. Not that God expects us to perform, but faith without works is dead. Hallelujah. So there is an, there, there is an aspect of, of, of uh, an outcome of what we believe. Right? There is a practical outworking of what we believe. And that's what the Beatitudes is really, really all about. It, it, it speaks into our lives about particular character that needs to be established. And that character then brings about these, these results. Hence, how amazing it is to really go through this, this entire series. I know I've been, I've been really challenged and I'm continually being challenged with this. Right? You've heard me say, I wish I'd known or dug deeper into this in my early days of being a believer as opposed to just looking at the Beatitudes as something that is nice and flowery. God blesses those who are poor and realize that their need for Him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the whole earth. Man, it sounds nice, right? But the, the, the principles in it, as we dig further and deeper into it, it is like it is like this multivites multivitamins that helps build you and I up you know it gives us the antivirus to begin to really live in this world and and to be a believer that really counts for the Lord so today I would like to share part two of that and uh, and and today I'm going to cover what does it mean to lack spiritual appetite 
right? And the impact that it has on us long term. What's the long term impact on us? Amen. So we're going to look at we're going to look at uh, what it means to lack. Excuse me, spiritual appetite. So let me start off with asking you this question. Why do believers often lack spiritual appetite? Right, that's, that's a question. Why do people keep this in the back of my mind? Right, and maybe during our Zoom time, we can begin to engage in these questions. Why do you or why do, we, why do believers often lack a spiritual appetite? Now, there are obviously several reasons. So I'm just going to cover a few this, this morning for us to chew and consider. Right, some, the first, the first aspect is this, some lack because they are not truly born again. Meaning there isn't a real relationship, right? So it's easy, it's easy so often to be swept in an, in, in, into an emotional need to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, right? Or sometimes you hear someone say this to you, hey, why don't you try Jesus? You've got nothing to lose, so just give him a try. Give him a try. Now, Jesus is not about, about that. It's not about us trying Jesus. The, the requirement to be a follower of Christ is to commit. We need to commit our lives to him. A commitment needs to make to be made, not to try. You, it's, it's not like as if you're going out, you're going for a tryout. Let, let me see if I can get into the athletic squad or football or soccer or, or something along, along those lines. Now, let me give you this, let me give you this, this analogy, for instance. If, if I were to have told my wife this, let's just try marriage and see how it works. <laughs> now, obviously, I never said that, but I can imagine what the outcome would be, right? I mean, l- let me put it to you this way. You're going out with someone and you'd suddenly turn around and say, hey, babe, you know, we've been, do- we've been, we've been going out for a bit. I was thinking the other day that I'd like to try committing to you, um, committing to, to you for life. You know, I want to try being married to you and what it's going to be like. I want to give it a. I want to give it a shot. Let's. Why, why don't Why don't we give it a try? Can you imagine someone proposing a guy making this proposal on that basis? He's getting down on his knees and he says, "Hey, babe, you know, let, let's try marriage. Would you like that?" I mean, that's 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 what this is. It's so flimsy. It's so it's like as if there's an open door now. Okay, we'll try it. We'll try it for a few months, man. You know, I, I gave this a shot for three months, and goodness me, it didn't really work. Right? So if you look through 1 Corinthians chapter 13, it talks about the context of love. And you will then ask yourself this question now. Can I fall into that sort of love? When it says love is patient, love is kind. Love keeps no record of any wrong. That's the sort of love. That's the, that's, that's the sacrificial love that God demands of us in any sort of relationship. Partic- I'm sorry, I should say in a relationship of... Uh, in, in, in a marriage relationship, right, where we encounter that it is not just romantic love, it is something that is far more deeper than that. So trying Jesus may be something that someone may have put to you, but friends, this morning I want to say to you, you've got to go beyond the trying. You and I, we've got to come to a place where we commit, where we say, Jesus, I commit my life to you. Amen. You know, like he committed his life to us. That's why he was able to say, for the joy that was set before me, 
he endured the cross for the joy for you and I. He saw you and I and that gave him great joy. And so he endured. He committed all the way he committed. Right. There's stacks of scripture that I could come up with. Uh, I mean, let's let's even just take the context of where the disciples, he goes to the disciples and he says, can't you just tarry with me for an hour? Right? So there is a commitment in following Jesus. It's not just about a trial. Right? So friends, a spiritual appetite is necessary. Is a necessary proof of one's salvation. We may have right, seasons where we may not have been really all that hungry, all that thirsty. Right? But there is... But hungering and thirst, but sal- salvation has this, it's, it's like a necessary af- affection. There is this, there is sense of this affection I have and af- I, I, I feel this affection for the Lord. There is this emotional aspect involved in it. It's not just a cognitive, it's not just a decision you make with the mind, but there is this internalizing, there is an emotional aspect, right? But if we find that we don't really have a hunger or a thirst for God, then maybe we're not really committed to Jesus. Maybe we're not really truly born again, you know, in that sense. And it's something that is important for us to really examine. A second aspect is, why do some people lack uh, a hunger or, or why do they lack a thirsting for his righteousness? It's because they are on an on a unhealthy diet. Because, because their diet is unhealthy, right? Now, the other day I heard a mom tell her young son this, hey, now don't eat that, that donut before dinner as you wouldn't want to spoil your appetite for dinner, right? For the real, for the real meal. Now, similarly, we ruin our appetite for righteousness, right? When we feast on sin or the unrighteousness before us, right? In 2 Peter chapter 2 verse, verses 1 to 2, it says this, get rid of evil and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And it says this, and yearn like newborn infants for pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up to salvation, right? Get rid says two things here. It says, get rid, and then as you get rid, you and I yearn like newborn babies, right? Yearning, yearning. So the implication here is that feasting on sin and the pleasures of the world and the, and, and the pleasures the world offers, right? It's, the, the, the operating word here is, is feasting, right? That when you and I feast on it, we lose our appetite for the real deal, for the real meal, right? The Apostle Paul says it this, whilst we are in the world, we are not of this world, meaning we are to train ourselves or you need to train yourself to have an appetite for, for what God promises and not just the, friv- the frivolities of what the world has to really offer you and I. It says, you know, the Psalms uh, or rather Proverbs says, guard your heart. Make a covenant with your eyes. Now, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15 says this, that if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Right? So if our appetite is for something else, and, and the world is a description of, of anything and everything that desires to take us away from God. Right? 
That's what the world, and hence, why Matthew chapter 6, 33 says this, that seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto you. It says, don't be worried about your clothes. Don't be worried about your food. Don't be worried about that. So in other words, what the, what the verse is really talking about here is this, that our preoccupation cannot be that. It doesn't say that we don't enjoy the things that the world has to offer. It doesn't say that I can't enjoy the car that I drive or the house that I live in. It doesn't say that. But it does say this though, does your car or does your home control your life? That's what it is. The things that we enjoy need to be controlled by us, not that they control us. Hence in Genesis 1.28, it says that, that you are to rule and have dominion, right? So again, the context of the question that I'd asked last week, are you riding or are you walking, right? Are you on the horse? Solomon talks about that. And again, if you need to find the context of that, please listen to last week's message. That was just an ad there for you. <laughs> so if we're feasting on things that delight or honor God, right, our love for righteousness or for, or for Him will continue to grow, right? And the pull of the world will soon diminish or it will begin to diminish. You know, we'll, we'll never be able to, to, to fully get rid of that because we live in the world. And so that's, 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 that's normal for us to have that, right? But what we need to always consider and, and keep at the center of, of, of everything is the hungering and the thirsting for, for the Lord so that it keeps us really, really centered. In Psalm 37, it says this, give yourself to the Lord, trust in Him and He will help you. That's the good news version. Right? Give yourself to the Lord. Now, the verse before that is what we always love to read and we, we, many of us tend to quote this. It says, the NLT says this, take delight in the Lord and He will give you your heart's desire. You see, so often we say, man, God's going to give you your heart's desire. But we don't often read the first part where it says, take delight in the Lord. Because it's taking delight in the Lord that really then begins to unleash the desires of your heart. As you and I take, take delight. Uh, the, uh, the good news version of Psalm 37 verse 4 says this, seek your happiness in the Lord. And he will give you your heart's desire. Amen. Seek happiness in the Lord. Uh, my third point is this, that some lack in spiritual appetite because of busyness, right? Now, it's easy to miss a meal when you are busy, right? Sometimes, you know, in, whilst we're working, and, and even here, we often say, oh, man, man, I haven't, it's 2.30, it's, it's 3, wow, I haven't even had lunch yet. You know, so wherever you are, it's so easy to, to miss your, 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 your lunch or sometimes it's easy to miss dinner. And when you miss that, then you eat much later and it is an unhealthy approach. Hallelujah. That's, that's how we put on weight. That's how we, that's how, um, uh, we, we, become, we become physically really inept or un, unhealthy. And the same thing happens to us spiritually. Let's look at the context of Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10, right? It really describes this aspect, aspect to his busyness, right? And in fact, it tells us that good busy 
is the enemy of best busy. That's how I'd like to put it to you. Good busy is the enemy of best busy. And you know, busyness, by the way, means this. It means to be occupied or to be engaged. I know we hate to use the word busy. And you know, sometimes when people tell me, hey, you must be busy. I say, no, no, I'm not busy. I'm occupied. You know, because to me, that's, that's, more, that's more biblical than anything. He says, occupy till I come, right? Be engaged till I, till I come, right? So take time, to en- take time to engage with the Lord. Jesus' response to Martha was who, who had complained by asking Jesus to have Mary assist, assist her. And Jesus' response was to Martha was this. Hey, Martha, Mary has really chosen the better part. So there are times where we need to choose this, this, this better part, right? It's, it's, it's somewhat paradoxical in a sense that here Martha is really serving God. She's serving Jesus in all of that. She's serving Jesus. And this is the good busy that I'm talking about, right? But serving God cannot be at the, ex- at the expense of our, of our Sabbath or of our time with the Lord. Which is the best busy? We need to get busy about really spending time with the Lord, getting, getting in with the Lord. In other words, where we feel that we are not empty deep within. You know, I've, I've, uh, um, I often quote the song, the lyrics to the song, I miss my time with you. I, I, just, I just love that. I miss my time with you, those moments together. Uh, and this is God singing to the person, right? Uh, those moments, uh, I miss my time with you, those moments together. I need to be with you each day. For it hurts me when you say you're too busy, busy trying to serve me. But how can you serve me when your spirit is empty? Hallelujah. How can we search, uh, serve the Lord when our spirit is empty, when there isn't a real bona fide thirsting and a hungering for God? We, we begin to serve out of a particular lack. And that lack will begin to really show itself. And it will begin to reveal itself. So where there is a lack of righteousness in any... Um, oh, actually, l- l- let me read this. In, 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 uh, in co- during COVID-19, what COVID-19 has, has, actually, has actually done to us is this. This, this whole coronavirus and what's going on, what it has actually really done to us is, is this, it has pulled apart. It has uh, pulled away the things that often keeps us really busy, keeps us within what I call the good busy. But it hasn't really allowed us to get into that, that core sense of really needing to be with him or needing to really understand our relationship with him and to know the, the, the sense of authority that God has placed within us. Now, let me give you a, clear, a good example here. You've, you've heard us also say this, that, or at least, at least myself, you know, I, 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 I struggle with the context of having this Zoom prayer when I'm, when I'm praying with various people via Zoom or even, you know, doing worship over Zoom. It, it feels like as if it is, it is such a, 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 a disconnection there. Because when you're doing it with, when you're worshiping with others and when you're praying with others, you feed off everyone else and there, is, there, are, there are the emotions that are there as well, apart from the truth of knowing that 
Uh, hence the word of the Lord says that where two or three are gathered, he is there. But he also does say that when you are in your closet, when you are in your quiet place, right, he is also there. We know that. But the difficulty, and friends, I'm sure you can relate with me, how difficult it is to, to feel, that, to feel that, that, that sense of disconnection. And to me, you know what that has really, really shown and really brought about, it's this. It is this audience of one that God is bringing us to. He's wanting us to know that, hey, I am enough for you. Have you realized that? Can you realize that? That I alone am, am, should be your, your sense of satisfaction. I alone can satisfy you. And that's what this whole, this whole season is bringing to us, folks. It's bringing this to the church. It's leveling everything aspect within the context of the church as well to say, hey, what is the core sense of who we are and what we are as a church? What is our gathering really, really all about? So it has pulled, it has, it has stripped away. It is really addressing the aspect of what is really important. It is giving us time to really reset many things in our lives, our workplaces. And, and uh, let, let me add this as well. The way, the, the way our political leaders should lead. And I think that's a, that's a tremendous example that we're seeing today. If we, if, every day we see this, how our political leaders are leading us, how this state, of, how this state government is, is actually really leading us, is there a real sense of true righteousness in all of what they're saying and doing? I don't know how many of you would agree with me or whether you feel that I'm being kind of political here. No, it's not that at all. What I'm, what I'm doing is simply this. I'm saying that there must be a sense of godly righteousness in all of what we do, in the way we lead. As leaders, we are called to lead with a, with a deep sense of righteousness, with a deep longing of righteousness. You know, when the word of the Lord says that you must, you must, you will be comforted if you mourn. Are we mourning? Do our leaders mourn in a sense where they come to a point of really repenting before the Lord. Because that's when, that's when divine comfort will come. That's when wisdom will come. The fear of the Lord is that which gives us wisdom. So how are we to lead if there is no real fear of the Lord? Everything else will come in. So we have now the common statement of, I don't know. How did this happen? We don't know. So we don't know is the, is the operating word at this season in our lives. And that's what we keep hearing again and again. But God gives us wisdom, friends. There must be the sense of fear. What are we as believers doing as, as we see this, right? As we see what is, what is before our eyes, right? You know, we've just, seen that, we've just seen that when the going gets tough, it's so easy to just put someone under the bus. It is so easy. We've just seen that. And in order to control things, we come up with this omnibus aspect to keep control and to show a sense of power. Is that what God calls us to? Is that what righteousness, true righteousness is, friends? I mean, this is not having a go at our current situation, but it is actually really needing. We need to begin to look at what is before us and call what it is, that there is a true lack of righteousness within, within, the, within the levels of our, of, of our leadership. And so as you see that there, right before our eyes, as we begin to see this, 
we, we see a clear evidence of what a lack of it really shows, right? So friends, how do we then begin to ourselves ensure that we don't get into that place? Because it's easy to criticize, but when we are in that position, how are we going to lead? And hence, this is why I'm saying the need for us to be consistently, and that's why the Greek text puts it this way. It is a present participle meaning that we need to consistently and continuously be hungering for, uh, for his and thirsting for his righteousness. So the question that I want to put to you is this. Are you still hungry and thirsty for him? If not, why? If not, why? Why aren't we? Right? So we want to go into the, the, the context of how then do we develop our appetite? How do we develop healthy, healthy appetite? Now, it is said, I don't have, I don't, I don't uh, rear horses or anything like that, but it is said that, if, that you can't lead, you, you, you can't lead a... Uh, 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 a horse to water in a sense that you can't force a horse to drink but what you could do is you could you could lead it to a place where it it has this this thirst within and the way that they do it is to add salt to the oats so as you feed the horse it becomes thirsty and you and the horse then des- desires to take a drink and so what are we doing to ourselves in a sense that how do we create this thirst within us? How do we develop a healthy appetite? Now, the first of which is this, that by evaluating our relationship with the Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says this, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they're discerned only through the Spirit. Amen. So as we evaluate our lives, Paul says this, the Apostle Paul in, in 1 Corinthians 2.14, that without the Spirit, that we are unable to really discern. It is, it is to, to those who don't have the Spirit of God, everything is foolishness. Because we are unable to discern what the Spirit is actually speaking to us or is trying to convey to us. So hence, in evaluating our relationship, we need, we need to ask ourselves this, this, this extremely important question. Is the Spirit of the Lord active in our lives? Amen? Is the Spirit of the Lord acting in our lives? In, in uh, Revelations chapter 2, it says this, that... Um, Actually, before, before I read Revelation chapter 2, let me read a reflection from John Piper, actually. In his reflection, he says this, Darkness is never so dark as when a redeemed soul isn't satisfied in God. The richness of the scripture has no taste. The preacher's sermon deflects of fleshy armor, or rather fleshly armor. Prayer seems to be stamped, returned to sender. Distractions intrude the best attempts to have quiet moments with God. Your heart sighs. Memories of blazing intimacy with Christ make the soul now shiver. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel, Lord, I feel it. 
rings truer than other lyrics. You may even fear that after all of this time, you aren't really his. You aren't really his. Now in Revelation chapter 2, verse 2 to 4, further adds, and it says this, that I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. And this is good, isn't it? It further says this, I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found themselves and, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. In verse 4 it says this, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Some versions say, come back to your first love. Come back to your first love. So there is a need for us at this point in time. In, in order, as part of developing or part of fostering a healthy appetite, evaluate your relationship, friends. See where is it? Where is it at? The second aspect is to stir or to foster up an appetite is, is that it is important to stay away from what I call appetite killers. Right, stay away from appetite killers. So we have to be vigilant in protecting our spiritual appetite. We've just got to be extremely, extremely uh, conscious of that and be very protective. So there must be a genuine repenting. Uh, it says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. If you genuinely really crying out, genuinely coming to a place of saying, man, I really hate this, Lord. I, 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 I not just regret, I, I literally hate this because in repentance, there are three things that you may have heard me say this at, at different times. It is a change of heart, a change of mind, and a change of direction. That is what repentance is. A change, there's a deep change of within my heart. There is a change in my mind, the way I think about this particular aspect. There's a change of direction. Hallelujah. So is there a consistent, genuine turning away? Now, this is not about beating ourselves or having this kind of a pity party time. No, it's not that. No true father really, really wants to shame their child. And our, and our Heavenly Father is not about shaming us, but He's about the, the hard attitude. He's about where you and I are within, within our hearts before Him. Now, the word of the Lord says this, that, you know, his hand is not shortened, right? His hand is not short. Even when we feel like as if we're sinking, he reaches out and he pulls us up. So in whatever situation that you're in, you know you can count on God. You know you can count on the Father. So what is the appetite killer? What is killing the, your, your appetite? And to stay away from that aspect. Stay away from the things that kind of pull you away. Stay away from things that you know you can, you, you, you will find yourself being addicted to. Stay away from those things. Find someone that can help you. Be accountable to someone. This is the way that you and I need to fight. We need to fight because it is not easy, friends. We are, we are enamored and tempted on a daily basis. Consistently, we are. And hence, if we look at the isolation, if that one, man, I, I mean, there are quite a few good things, but if I, can, if, if I can harp on this one good thing, it has pulled us into a place where distractions 
are virtually removed from us, right? Virtually. But again, we can still find ourselves in that should we want to, right? The third aspect is to foster a healthy appetite is this, we must eat. I mean, that's natural, right? We must eat. Now, when you and I are in a place or when you find that someone is not eating and hasn't got a healthy appetite and losing weight, one of the first things that they do is when, when you're taken to the hospital is that they run an IV right through you and they begin to force feed you. Hallelujah. So there is a force feeding that is needed. So, so when there is a lacking for a, for when there is a, a, a lack in hungering or thirsting for, for the Lord, we need to force feed ourselves. So how do we force feed ourselves within the context of spiritual aspects, right? How do we spiritually force feed ourselves? Be part of a connect group. Come for your prayer sessions. If there are prayer meetings, join them. Even if it is hard with Zoom, join your prayer meetings. Come and pray with us. Amen. Worship times. Uh, though it's pre-recorded like what you see over here, get involved and sing. Begin to worship. Let your spirit begin to rise. Don't sit and watch. Engage. Right? This is force feeding. Listening to messages, listening to your prophetic words, listening to, to uh, the Bible. Right? Play. Let the Bible just play. This is, again, this is part of force feeding you, you and I. So th these are things that we, be, we need to put in place in order to ensure that we come back to a place where there is a hungering and a thirsting for it. And the fourth aspect is this, that it is important to eat with others. Right? So, who am I eating with? Who am I f uh, fellowshipping with or taking time to spend, to spend time with? You know, uh, my, my son asked me for Father's Day, hey, Dad, what, 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 you know, what do you want to eat on, on, on Father's Day? You know, well, what, what, what shall I cook, actually? So, I said, Korean barbecue. So I, I, I just love that because he did it once and it was so good that I said, no, I want it again. So, so here Leon prepares all of that, right? And, you know, the fun thing with Korean barbecue is this, that we all gather around the table and there is, and there is this, 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 this pot that's there that you begin to cook or this frying pan that's there. You begin to barbecue. You begin to barbecue stuff and you begin to cook all of that. And as you're cooking, you know, you're sharing the meal with one another and you're chatting and you're enjoying. So as a family time, that, is, that was just so wonderful because there is something that 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 happens when you spend time together when you're eating because generally when you eat with someone you don't eat with your enemy right you eat with someone that you want to build a relationship with and even if he's an enemy when you start eating with him he'll soon be your friend amen so eating with others the the, the, the lord says hey i'm knocking at the door because I want to come in and sup with you. I want to come in and eat with you. So the Lord is, is inviting us into that place. Whom are you eating with? Proverbs 13, 20 says this. He who walks with the wise becomes wise. But the friend of fools will suffer harm. Right? Wisdom and foolishness in scripture are not and uh, are not an intellectual aspect. They are not intellectual issues. They are spiritual issues really. Wisdom and foolishness. In, in Psalm chapter 14, verse 1, it says, The fool says in his heart that there is no God. So often, our close friends are people like us. Right? And when I say people like us, meaning 
those who would like to do fairly similar things. So, is there a hungering for God? Is there a thirsting for God? We like talking about those aspects. We like, you know, you, you go out for camping trips with your friends, you know, because, you know, they enjoy camping, we enjoy camping. You know, you do all of that. It's stuff that you like to do together. So, do you have friends that like to delve into the Word of God? That, that love to worship together, that love to pray together. Now, these are the friends that you and I need to keep in contact with in order, again, to foster and to build, to develop spiritual appetite because that's what we're talking about. So whom are you eating with? Right? Which are you? Are you helping cultivate hunger for God with those around you, friends? Is that what you're doing? Or you're causing others to deplete, to feel depleted. Come on, add to them. Add to them during this time. Call someone and add to them. Send them a, a, a scripture, right? And, and, and encourage that. In, in conclusion, as I bring this to a landing, friends, I want to end with this, the promise of the first part of this verse. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. They will be satisfied. So there is a twofold aspect to this hunger. One is God promises to, to fill the hungry with righteousness. Now the word satisfy can also be translated fill in the NIV. In other words, when you hunger, you get filled. Right? When, there is a hung, when there is a hunger there, you get filled. That's the promise, right? If you don't, you will not have His righteousness operating in you. So in other words, if you're not hungering for God, you're never going to get filled. You're never going to get satisfied. So we've got to come to that place of really hungering. And if you realize from that, it, it's, it's proportional. It's proportional in a sense that if I hunger a whole lot more, I will encounter more of His righteousness. I mean, despite us being His righteousness, there is this practical righteousness that we're talking about as well, right? So history shows that those who are desperately hunger for righteousness, or rather for a righteous God, are you, uh, have been used in, an amazing, in amazing ways, right? It's not the talented, it's not necessarily the gifted, but it is the hungry and thirsty. It's the hungry and thirsty. John Knox was greatly stirred. And he cried out, give me Scotland or I will die. Give me Scotland or I die. Are we hungering in that sense? Nehemiah. Nehemiah, when he had news of Jerusalem being in such a, in, 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 in distraught in a sense, the walls have all been broken. The immediate thing that happened to him was this. He began to really cry. He began to mourn. There was, a, there was a real sadness that came upon him. Right? And then there was this sense of being filled. When a question was asked, what can we do? He was filled with the need to go and repair. Repair the walls. And the first thing he started off in repairing the walls was established the altar. So establishing the altar in your life, friends, right? To satisfy the deep and hunger. And final aspect here is this, that he promises to satisfy the hungry. 
right? He promises to fill, and the as- the other aspect, he promises to satisfy. So, in other words, there is really an emotional aspect that is that 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 is that is linked to this hunger. So emotionally, there must be something that happens deep within that we are never satisfied if if we pursue contentment in possession, in fame, in fortune, in power, or the love for money. And notes, money in itself is not is not the evil thing, right? Money is not evil. It's the love for money which is the root of all evil. It is the love for that. Right, so what do we love? What are we hungering for? Appetite, as I started off saying, is an indicator of our physical health. And it is the same within the context of our spiritual health. So are you hungering for a deeper intimate relationship? Are you hungering for a deeper knowledge not for a, but for deeper knowledge of God's word. Do you have a love for souls that is salvation of those that are yet to know Christ? Are you hungering for his will to be done in every single situation of your life? If so, be encouraged today. Be really encouraged today that he will satisfy you. He will fill you. Amen. Can I end with this question here, friends? In what ways have you experienced a hunger and a thirsting for righteousness? And God satisfying that hunger. In what ways?